Hi, and welcome back to this new episode of a Brian Schaefer story. So it's not really big news that a big production company aired an episode the other week on the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. And it's not totally that surprising either that I actually will be doing a follow-up or a review about it. It's not really too crowded out there with new information about Brian Schaefer's case in this present time. So I at least felt it compelling to give an homage now that this episode on his case was released. So the HLN episode that was released the 21st of November was part of a series called Real Life Nightmare. This production company also released a trailer and a longer sneak peek in connection. So the series aims at reporting on mysterious cases, and Brian's case mysterious as it is fitted the purpose, evidently. So let's go through this HLN episode then, and see it from our perspective. Did it do a fair job describing the events around his disappearance, as we have come to learn them? And did they air something that was new or previously unknown? As a matter of fact, at the end of the episode, we got to know a new, small but important detail. Needless to say, but a spoiler alert will of course be issued here, for those of you who hasn't seen this episode pre-hand, even though it won't really be the end of the world, I reckon, either. So, let's go then. This is truly one of the biggest mysteries of Central Ohio. 27-year-old, has his life in front of him, might be getting married, going to be a doctor, and he disappears without a trace. He's seen going into a bar, he's never seen leaving. How do you literally vanish off the face of the earth? Was somebody following him? Did something happen inside the bar? There are so many what-ifs. It just adds to this mystery. So this was the trailer that was released, and wow, what a trailer. This HLN company, they don't kid around. If you don't get interested in Brian Schaefer's case after this trailer, I don't know what case might. Well made, mysterious, of course, all these puzzling elements in it. They also air this escalated footage in a definition and in a resolution that I haven't seen prior 
So that tells me that uh, they probably lay their hands on uh, the original footage and uh, must have been provided by Columbus Police Department. So I was thinking that uh, I'll play the episode in the background and I'll go through and I'll talk and briefly explain the episode in this way. So I can't put a too high quality audio out there because it might infringe on uh, the copyright and and so forth. Will be sort of a slower approach, but at least uh, I'll cover the entire episode and I won't leave any parts out, so to say. So bear with me and it's gonna be fun. So they talked about Columbus, it's the capital of Ohio, and they showed some pictures of the Olentangy River also. And it's uh, close uh, proximity to the university campus, the Ohio State University. And then they proceed to zoom in on uh, High Street, obviously important in this case. And uh, then we get to see pictures of uh, Brian also. And they even show uh, some IDs that Brian had. And I've seen those previously, but uh, they're sort of hard to find. So now everyone, the public is invited to see them here. And they mention, of course, his appearance and his looks that he had various appearances throughout the years. And the thing about the coach that he was forced to cut to Sierra and then he didn't do it. And John Hurts reveals that Brian Schaefer was in the top 10% of his class, which is astounding. They bring up Alexis Wagner also, and uh, this is earlier footage uh, when she was interviewed in 2016, so it's not really current. Yeah, Laura Davis mentions that Brian and Alexis were in this good part of a relationship and that uh, they had planned this trip, spring break trip to Miami. The minute we bring up the uh, fact that Brian's mom, Renee, passed away. Now they're showing pictures of the Ugly Tuna Salona that Brian had made his plans with his friend Clint and it's John Hurst that talks now. And now Clint appears and that's the interview from the uh, Rita Cosby show that aired a long time ago. So they go through all the bars that uh, Brian and Clint visited at night, including the Shorts North, and uh, that they ended up at this uh, brother's bar by the Serena district 
this new district that was built in Columbus. And that they were quite far away from the bar. And uh, Clint proceeded to call his friend Meredith then to pick them up. And that they, uh, the police uh, can verify that they were picked up by this uh, camera inside the parking garage. And they show images of uh, the escalator footage with Brian standing in front and riding up the escalators with Clint behind him and Meredith behind him. Yeah, the atmosphere in the bar was loud and there's a band playing. And then that Brian is seen outside also at 1.55 roughly. Talking to these two girls. And it's the last time to see him so on camera. So then uh, Lori Davis mentioned that uh, she refers to Clinton Meredith is that uh, they say that Brian had walked back into the bar and had told Clint that Brian was going to talk to the band. So this is a bit confusing uh, because we now have facts that the two girls that Brian was seen outside with, uh, they recounted that Brian didn't re-enter the bar after Brian is seen leaving this uh, camera footage uh, but it's sort of standing the whole time out on his foyer uh, and outside of the Aglituna Saluna bar. Uh, so it's a little bit perplexing and confusing Clint's statement uh, because if Brian didn't enter the bar how could he had approached Clint and told him that he was going to talk to the band. So this must be communicated by Brian to Clint in a earlier stage and not in close proximity to 2am. So this statement by Brian towards Clint that he was going to see and talk to the band members was probably made before Brian exited and uh, headed out to this foyer and talked to the two girls. So it's just worth pointing out basically. Yeah, now the mention that uh, Clint and Meredith were looking for Brian before they uh, left the premise. And that uh, they gave him a call at 2.01 and that uh, that call had gone directly to the voicemail. 
keep calling, no answer, no answer. Yeah, so I'm mentioning that Alexis had gone to Toledo that weekend and came back to the came back to Columbus on Sunday and headed directly over to Brian's apartment and the place seems seemed untouched. And that there were no activity on Brian's credit cards after it went missing. I didn't withdraw any money or use his credit card in any way. Yeah, and that uh, since Brian didn't show up for this flight on Monday, they basically started their investigation from that point. And the importance of this uh, flight trip is also mentioned that it was a gift from Renee, Brian's mom. John Hurst now mentions that they canvassed the area, uh, the nearby neighborhoods and blocks close to the gateway building. And that uh, this is this is the one of the, one of the biggest uh, cases in uh, in Ohio history with uh, over 100 officers participating in the searches for Brian and his whereabouts. We see a small clip of uh, Randy also. And that Randy made his utmost to to find his son. And that eventually John Hurst said that they had uh, headed out to the Aglitone Salona and the Gateway Building, the place where he was last seen. And he describes the, the complex a little bit. It had a cinema. And that they uh, approached the security team and they got access to hours upon hours of camera footage. And I mentioned Detective Edwards, which was the detective who brought the material home at his place. And later also provides this uh, statement that uh, they were 100% sure that Brian didn't leave by the escalators that night.
yeah, Lord Davis just shook her head, saying that uh, there are more cameras in this uh, in this area of the city than in basically all other major cities in uh, Ohio combined, and that the investigators looked frame by frame of all the footage and didn't couldn't identify Brian Schaefer. Now they're actually showing pictures of, uh, if you recall, the guy in the orange sweater. The police wanted to try to identify this guy. And he showed this behavior that he, he had gone up and down the escalators five, six times. And uh, the last time they see him leave, he's actually was standing just behind Clinton Meredith. And they provide footage of this. So this is the first time that we can see the, the guy in the orange sweater. Sort of interesting. He looks like a big fella occupying almost uh, the same place as two persons at once. So in the beginning, this uh, episode is sort of running quite smoothly. And then they start to, as soon as they bring in something that, that's interesting, they're starting with these commercials. So I'm going to jump a little bit. The show uh, footage of Randy being interviewed. Randy provides some general information that Brian went out and that there were cameras all over the place, but that uh, Brian wasn't seen leaving. So we don't have too many interviews with Randy, actually. So... This is really interesting that they managed to find some some interviews with him uh, because a lot of material is sort of lost for us. We can't really search for any more of these interviews. So I'm glad that the production company managed to go into the archives, so to say, and borrow other networks material and air them in this episode. Yeah, so the host of the of this show uh, keeps raising the point that uh, considering all the cameras that uh, were sort of monitoring this area, how could a, a person, a body, leave this, uh, this premise without being seen? And then uh, Laura Davis keeps going by mentioning that she has visited the, the bar and the building, and that in standing inside the bar, she could see the, the four corners of the bar simultaneously. And how can you just lose track of a guy in this establishment? Above that bar, 
not big enough to leave a person in. Uh, worked a number of cases, uh, missing persons. And, and now we get to see Don Corbett, the private investigator that, that was hired by Randy. And they also visit the uh, gateway building at this present time because Don Corbett is seen riding up the escalators with a staff from the production team. Yeah, and Don Corbett very wisely mentions the point that uh, there were two police officers surveilling the area outside the bar that night and they're standing there armed so who would basically dare to do anything criminal or offensive in that instance with these two law enforcement officers standing just right outside the bar it's a very good point they also quickly mentioned the uh, the landfill that was searched by Columbus Police Department that was out in Franklin County uh, where they managed to narrow down uh, where this trash that had been collected uh, was dumped basically and uh, they brought uh, cadaver dogs and similar and weren't able to find anything and then they immediately jump into theories that uh, some people believe that he could be in the construction area yeah, that's basically the word that they mentioned. And John Hurst goes through the details that they looked basically from the roof down to the sewer systems. And that he speculates that some people think that Brian may, may be under a floorboard or similar, but that there were hard cement walls. And that those areas were inspected and that they also brought the canines in and that, uh, and that these dogs would have found something if Brian Schaefer would have been inside that building. And John Hurst adamantly points out that it was searched with a fine tooth comb. There is just no way that Brian could be in that building. Yeah, so now they're mentioning uh, the fact that uh, a theory could be that Brian left by the fire escape inside the bar and I'll call it also the emergency exit and uh, yeah the sort of related information that uh, ended up basically just by the entrance to the gateway building if you took that route and uh, that the staff of the Aglitolons Luna bar had relayed to John Hurst that uh, this exit wasn't used by anyone that night and it's basically what I'm saying also uh, in this episode of mine, uh, the first one, and uh, I actually give a few additional information also. Now they mentioned the service elevator, which is on the on the right side. Uh, if you would have exited the bar, and that the band used that exit. He also, John Hurst mentions that uh, they reviewed the footage from this back exit and they cannot 
see Brian Schaefer leaving that way. They can see the band leaving. And uh, they then proceeded to try to track each and every person in the premise. And a small window of time, basically from where Brian is seen at 1.55 up until 1.57, until uh, Clint exits the bar at 2 a.m. And Brian is basically gone from that point. So, yeah, quite a good job, actually. Now it's commercial again, so I'm going to pause there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, the basic facts are all laid out. And they are staying on the right track. Uh, basically, there is limited time here to uh, continue uh, further dives into Brian Schaefer's disappearance. You, one can understand that. I mean, I've done, I don't know how many parts by now, but uh, they cannot uh, convey all the information in basically five minutes. The building and how Brian Schaefer managed to get out is... Uh, are many episodes just by themselves. So considering this fact, it's pretty well made. They provide the fact that he's not seen leaving by the escalators. They mentioned the fire escape inside the bar. And uh, they add that there was a back exit that the band used, but that Brian is not seen on this footage either. And, uh, well, after this, they stopped sh short of explaining how Brian could have got out. And uh, they don't relay any more information on on how Brian got out at night. Uh, so, at least we know from previous interviews that John Hurst has conducted that uh, he ultimately believes that... Uh, uh, Brian Schaefer actually left the building by one of these construction area exits. But uh, this is not something that has been brought up here. And they don't mention anything in regard to the Wendy's restaurant that was on the opposite end of one of these construction areas. And that that camera was broken at this time. Uh, not Nothing of the sort is, uh, is in this episode. So now Killer Bruce, the host of uh, Brian Schaefer Dead or Alive, mentions that uh, it's sort of odd that Brian vanished just in this instance where he had his uh, trip booked towards Miami and that Brian had put a lot of effort in uh, planning this trip and uh, trying to create this wonderful experience for him and Alexis. And the fact uh, of this, uh, that a proposal was maybe on the way, but that they, uh, they never found any evidence that Brian, for example, had purchased uh, a ring. Yeah, that Brian didn't have a ton of money. 
religion, suddenly say, I'm done, and give up and walk away. He had a family that loved him. When you actually see the video of him going up that escalator, nothing seemed out of the ordinary for him. So, so we are almost uh, halfway in into this HLN episode. So I'll continue recording the second part and uh, go through what's left in this episode. I'll release that uh, as soon as I can. So take care. So long. Make sure you subscribe to Brian Schiff's story and check out the series on Instagram. So I'll see you.